at a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, March 1st, 2023 edition. And yep, we are through the first two months of the year. And that means the first quarter is rapidly coming to a close. So I'm Justin Klein. I'm here on today's show to help you make the most of your strategies and your capital so that you can make good, consistent decisions with your money. And I look forward to doing this Invest Talk podcast so I can answer your questions. You probably have some. I'm never going to be able to address them all on, on one show based on the things that I bring up. So that's why you have to bring them to me. And that's why we consistently encourage that. So we're ready for your calls whenever you're ready at 888-99-CHART. Now, when you get when you send those calls in, I'm here to give you my unbiased answer. No hidden agenda. I'm just here to help you break down the current investment situation so that you can make decisions that may not be as obvious as it has been in the past. And so what I want to get to to start today's show is really uh, talk a bit about how and why the market is changing. I've talked about this many times. We're in this uh, changing market dynamic that's very different than we've seen in the past. And you might ask yourself, well, why is it changing? And the simple answer is something I wrote in our monthly, I, I send out a monthly note to our current clients. And I kind of started off with the answer to this question, which is cheap capital and globalization. You know, we've been so used to that over the last few decades that it's unnatural for us to, and uncomfortable for us to look at the economy in any different way. And that's why so many people continue to focus on the things that did well during that environment, such as technology, housing, and finance. All of those sectors benefited from cheap capital and globalization. And today's a good reminder, with the 10-year back approaching that 4% rate, that cheap capital is somewhat a thing of the past especially with baby boomers retiring. That's a lot of capital that is not being invested, right? If you, we have a lot of boomer clients that they want safer investments, right? They're not going to go out there to take as much risk. And especially as they go along into their retirement years, that's only natural. So you have demographics that are pushing capital to become more scarce and demographics and geopolitics 
to hit on that globalization factor that are causing more inflation, higher interest rates. So that is really the crux of the situation that we're in today. And that means you have to think about the economy different. A lot of people will say, oh, look at housing. Housing's too expensive. Housing's slowing. Housing starts and, and homes for sale and inventory is going up, even though it's not really going up that much. Uh, but they're, they're looking through the economy through that lens. And that's not the lens to look at it through anymore, nearly as much. Not to say it's not important. Not to say it isn't a factor. But you have to look at the economy really through the lens of industrial policy. Trends in manufacturing. Trends in the service sector, which is two-thirds of our economy. So all of these current situations are playing into this changing market environment. So that's what I'm here to help you do is to shape your thinking so that you can adjust, that you're not stuck in the past, that you're paying attention to the facts that are on the ground today so you can be successful. So I encourage your participation and your finance and investment questions on our anytime listener line at 888-99-CHART. I've got a lot to cover today. My main focus point concerns the story behind this question. Is it possible to balance the books for Social Security? A lot of people talk about this. Is Social Security going to be around when I retire? This is something I talk to clients about, right? If they're in their 30s or 40s, say, oh, I'm not going to get Social Security. Is that true? We're going to look at the numbers. Also, the jobs market. Are if you look at the government numbers, the jobs market is very healthy. But if you look underneath the surface, other types of measurements, such as companies that are reporting earnings uh, that are in the, say, recruiting space, for example, that's something to look at. And we're going to look at some other factors that indicate that yeah, the jobs market isn't as strong as, as the, the government uh, numbers are showing and thus that the uh, market is pricing in. So we're going to look at that. Also, if we're going to electrify America, do we have enough workers? It's not just the raw materials. We talked about the raw materials, copper and such that are going to be needed for electric vehicles and, and modernizing our infrastructure, etc. But do we have enough workers to do it? We're going to look at that. Then also stock buybacks, stock buybacks. What is that looking like through the first couple months of the year? Now I also have some voice bank questions ready to play. One is on securities, security backed lines of credit and Wells Fargo. And I have an iTunes review question for you as well. I've got this all planned for this episode of Invest Talk. And of course, your live calls most importantly at 888-99-SHART. Now let's take a look at the market today. It was modestly, modestly lower. The broad market was down about 0.4% and really driven by large cap growth. You had Rivian down 18%. Uh, that was big. You also had, uh, what was it? The Novavax that was down after hours yesterday and uh, basically saying that they're going to 
probably go bankrupt. So that was uh, weighing on markets. But you had other companies like National Vision Holdings, Figs, a lot of these growthier names definitely took on the chin. Virgin Galactic was down 17% today. Clean Energy Fuels down 13%. So that's really where you saw the crux of the, the weakness in the market. And uh, small caps were actually up a tad. Okay, So modest weekday, nothing crazy. Uh, but you saw the 10-year, like I said, inch up to about point or 4%. And then gold actually had a pretty good day as well, you know, and, and the dollar was weak. So that was the market today. The stock market is constantly shifting, as we have been saying. I'm guessing that you have at least one or two finance or investment questions ready for me to answer. That's why you can call. You set the agenda on today's show. The phone lines are ready for you to call now on Talk 888-99-CHART. Get ready for a new KPP Financial Wealth Webinar, Value Investing, Positioning Your Portfolio for Profitability, Relative Price, and Dividend Payments. The Wealth Webinar will be a crash course on how to structure your value portfolios, providing real examples with assessment tools that KPP Financial uses every day to grow clients' wealth. The webinar will be anchored by KPP Financial CEO and InvestTalk host, Justin Klein, and by KPP Financial Portfolio Manager, Luke Guerrero. Mark your calendar for Wednesday, March 22nd from 2 to 3 p.m. Pacific Time. You are invited to a new KPP Financial Wealth Webinar. Be sure to tell your friends and family members it's free and you can register now at investtalk.com. Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Here's some good news. KPP Financial is giving away 50 free subscriptions to the KPP Premium Newsletter. This is our 50 for 50 million thank you to all of you for helping us succeed 50 million Invest Talk podcast downloads in our history. And if you'd like a chance to win your free newsletter subscription, just follow Invest Talk on social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn. Then be sure to like and tag three friends on our 50 for 50 million post. We'll be picking fifth, or sorry, we'll be picking 10 winners each week for five weeks. So tag along and tell your friends too. The prize, one year's free subscription to the KPP Premium Newsletter, bringing, your, bringing you financial news and commentary from me and Steve Peasley. The KPP Premium Newsletter would normally cost you $199 for the year, but now you could get it for free. Just follow along or follow InvestTalk on social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn. Then like and tag three friends on our 50 for 50 million post. Now, Steve and I have told you many times that we get calls from around the world, and here comes one from Denmark. Hello, InvestTalk. This is Yannick from Denmark. I have uh, questions about two stocks. One is uh, Silanese Company. I'm quite sure you recommend it. Ticker symbol CE. Are you still optimistic on this one? And the second one is Paramount Global, ticker symbol 
P-A-R-I, both companies owned by Berkshire Hathaway. like to hear your opinion. Thank you a lot. Bye. All right. I think Paramount Global is P-A-R-A. And very two different companies. Selenese is a chemical manufacturer. They produce uh, acetyl intermediates, high-performance engineer polymers sold worldwide. And their business has been slowing from 2021 when they made $18 a share. They're supposed to only make $12 per share this year. So you see that reversion to the mean kind of back to near 2019 levels. And all this is because people were over-consuming physical products. We talked about this over and over. And Selenese is, is feeling that. So not a shock, but trading at... 10, 12 times forward-looking earnings, I, and, and they have consistent profitability. So it's, one, it's, it's, it's a great business. It does have a lot of debt. I think that's the biggest issue here is the debt load. But their profitability, even during rough times, is still positive. And they can earn many times their, their interest coverage. What's the interest coverage ratio? Yeah, times interest earned, 5.4 times. They earned five times as much on their earnings than their interest payments. So uh, I'm going to give Selenese a thumbs up. Now, Paramount, that's a very different business. Right? Global media and entertainment company. They make motion pictures and, and publishing and broadcasting. Uh, diversified within that space, but it's a space that kind of struggling, especially the movie business. They own CBS, so local networks and things like that. Uh, they own MTV, Nickelodeon, VET, Comedy Central, VH1. You know, I don't love the secular tailwinds here, or in this case, probably headwinds, and they have a good amount of debt on their balance sheet. So, and, and their profitability isn't nearly as strong. Their times interest earned is only 2.6 times, right? Half of what selling these is. So if I'm going to pick one or the other, I'm definitely picking Selenies. Now let's slip in another listener question now. Hey guys, I'd love to get your thought on your symbol WFC, Wells Fargo. Looking to hold it for the long term. So it pays a decent dividend. Thanks. Have a good day. Uh, 2.6% dividend. That's I wouldn't say that's a decent dividend. It's okay. But it's also not the reason why I would buy it or wouldn't buy it. Obviously, Wells Fargo has been caught up over the last few years in some scandals around fraudulent account openings, and, and they had put in some some safeguards in place to make sure that doesn't happen going forward and, and all of that. And that certainly weighed on earnings, weighed on sentiment, et cetera. But overall, it's, it's a good business. Uh, now, is it my favorite business or favorite large bank out there? Probably not. I'd rather own like a JP Morgan uh, to be honest with you. Uh, but Wells Fargo, it's good. It's one of the better ones, but it doesn't get me too excited uh, in my book. But if you're creating a diversified portfolio of large banks, this would definitely be one to have in it. Uh, once again, it doesn't get me too excited. Now I'm going to take a break. And on the other side, more of your questions I'll dig into today's focus point as well. You're on Invest Talk. The stock market is constantly changing. And now, with more than 50 million downloads, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley reaffirm their commitment to providing unbiased finance and investment guidance here on Invest Talk. 
888-99-CHART. Now, my focus point concerns the story behind this question. Is it possible to balance the books for Social Security? And this is something I hear brought up all the time. And in some ways, people do have the right to worry. But if you dig into the numbers, there's pretty easy solutions to it. Now, according to the Social Security Administration calculation, its trust fund will be depleted around 2035. Now, that gives legislators plenty of runway to make some changes before then. But really, Social Security has been in a deficit since 2010. Remember, employees pay payroll out. Uh, into social, part of their payroll, they pay, pay, they pay Social Security tax, and then that goes into the government uh, system, and then it's paid out to Social Security recipients. And more has gone out to recipients than has been taken in by taxpayers since 2010. Now, you might say, that's a long time. It's been 13 years it's been in the red. Well, if you compare it to the rest of our budget, it's actually not that bad. Only 8% in 2022, Social Security was in the red by 8%. 2022. The rest of the federal budget was 34%. So in relation, it's one of our most sound parts of our federal budget. Now, let's say we wanted to get Social Security a more sustainable track. How difficult would it be? Now, the answer, surprisingly, is not that hard. And it's pretty easy to find solutions because of demographics. Demographics are destiny. You know how many one-year-olds there are today. So in 17 years, you're going to know how many 18-year-olds there are, give or take, you know, a, a, a tiny fraction. Because you know that, you know, 99 point whatever, 9% of them are going to make it to 18. Now, there are a few ways to address it. One is increased revenue. And there's a couple ways to do that. One is to boost the overall payroll tax, say, by 1%. So everybody that's paying Social Security tax or taxes in general are going to get that 1% boost. Or you could increase the cap on the payroll tax. So after you make a certain amount of money, you no longer pay Social Security taxes. So you can just raise that cap. And so no matter what income you have, you're going to pay Social Security on every single dollar, Social Security taxes on every single dollar. Now, another way is to, the current ceiling is 160200 So if you make over that, then you stop paying Social Security tax, well, you could have a gap where after 400000 that's when you start pick to pick up again, and then you're only taxing the top 1%. That's another way to do it, whereas a gap where those kind of in the middle income are not taking the brunt of that uh, increase in, in payroll tax. Or you can c- could combine it too, right? There's, there's ways to combine those ways to, to increase the overall revenue. Those are both relatively minor changes. And then there's tweaking the benefits. You could cut 
current recipients as well as future recipients. It's probably politically untenable. You could cut benefits for higher income retirees via means testing. So if you make over, say, a certain amount, $300,000 in retirement, you don't get your Social Security. You, you already make enough. You don't need to get more. That's also probably political unten politically untenable. Then there's lowering the cost of living increases. Now, this one is a lot easier. And you see this in January. That's one reason why consumer spending was so high is because you had the cost of living adjustment for Social Security 9%. Very high. So all these people who are retirees, they had a much, more, a bit much bigger check. They went out there and spent it. And that's frankly not very realistic if you actually look at the spending habits of retirees. Typically, their spending habits go up about half of what inflation is. So if inflation is 9%, their actually spending is only going to go up about 4 or 5%. So do you really need to adjust for the cost of living that much? Maybe just trim 1% off of it each year. Most retirees probably wouldn't feel it. Then there's increase the full retirement age. It's another one. They already, they've already done it. Want to do it again. Especially considering life expectancy continues to be longer. So those last two are pretty simple. And you can combine all of these into... Uh, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there to make the social security system more sustainable. And eventually I think we'll get there. But when you're planning for retirement, don't fall prey to the idea that social security is not going to be there for me when I retire. It is. It just takes some small adjustments from government. Now, in the next Invest Talk, the story behind this headline, tips to avoid bad mutual fund decisions. Hundreds of mutual funds deliver lackluster results and come with high price tags, and thus high fees put a fund at a huge disadvantage over time. That story is for tomorrow, but for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-SHARK. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy, and where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in, patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally. First with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value. So your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. 
For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, Stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Hey, Steve or Justin, this is Adam from uh, cold and snowy Minnesota, Minneapolis area. I uh, just had a quick question for you. I um, love what you guys do for the show. I'm curious about closed end funds or CEFs particularly been looking at GSBD or BlackRock multi-sector income, BIT. The dividend yield is pretty high. I know the expense ratio is outside of the where you'd like it to be, but i uh, just kind of curious what your thoughts are on those. Kind of a novice investor here looking for a place to put some money, so I'm not really looking to actively manage portfolio. It seems like these might be a decent option. Uh, they hold pretty steady. I think some of them have pretty stable values or share prices along with the dividends holding up. But I know there's some things to look out for with them. So just trying to get your advice on it and see what your thoughts are. Thanks again and uh, love what you do. Thanks. All right. Looking at GSBD as well as it looks like, was it BIT? Okay, let's take a look at both of these. Now, GSBD is Goldman Sachs BDC. And BDC stands for, what is it? Uh, I forgot what it stands for. But basically, these are kind of high-yield bond funds, levered high-yield bond funds. Because what they do is they provide commercial loans to middle market companies through direct origination of secured debt. So think of companies that aren't public. 
But you go out there and buy corporate bonds, and you're typically buying bonds of companies that are public. These, on the other hand, are lending, kind of like a bank, to companies that aren't public yet. They're not small businesses. They're, they're mid-sized businesses. Right? They have some heft to them, millions of dollars, if not tens or hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. But they need capital. And these type of companies go out there and lend to them. Usually complex vehicles or complex uh, lending instruments. But that's what they do. Mezzanine debt, things like that. The issue, though, is that they do have levers themselves. So they're kind of like their own bank, but it's not FDIC insured. And that's kind of what you're investing in here. It's kind of like an investment bank. And as you know, investment banks can go boom or bust like an OE, right? So I don't love that risk. If yield spreads really widen out, you saw this back in the COVID crisis. GSPD went from 21 all the way down to a low of $8. That's rebound, but it's still at 16. Continues to trend lower paying out that dividend, but let me see here. Is it paying out the dividend sustainably? Its payout ratio is 327%. Its cash dividend pay ratio is 656%. And they're just issuing more shares and taking on more debt in order to pay that out. Debt has steadily climbed. 2020, that's $769 million in debt. Now they have $2 billion in debt. So once again, in order to pay that dividend, they're just leveraging up their balance sheet. Not sustainable, not something I'd get behind. Now, BIT is a bit different here. This looks to be a closed-end fund. And it looks like it invests in, let's see here. Come on. Yes, he has leverage, 34% leverage there. Let's look at its portfolio. This is, yeah, this is more of a closed-end fund. It's investing in fixed income of certain types, government 4%, corporate 66, securitized 24. So it's, instead of investing in middle market companies, it's investing in corporate bonds of typically companies that are public. But it's also using leverage. And I think this is a bit more sustainable, but it's, also not super safe. So if I'm picking one or the other, I'm going to go to the BlackRock multi-sector income, but I don't love either. Okay. Cause it's a basically leveraged high yield. Don't love leveraged high yield. Okay. All right. Let's dig into, let's talk a bit about where are we? There we go. Let's talk about the labor market. And I talked about this a bit last week when we had earnings from ZipRecruiter. But you also had a recent one from Recruit Holdings, which is the parent company of Indeed. And they're two of the largest online recruiting companies out there. And they're showing the number of jobs postings on their sites declining 
more late last year than the Department of Labor's report is, is really letting on. And if the government reports move in line with the recruitment business, the Fed officials will likely have to let off the gas a little bit and have less pressure to move aggressively. And so this is a big reason why I think the market's a bit off sides with this recent surge in rates and the pullback in the equity markets. Because I don't think the Fed is, is going to get more hawkish. It doesn't really make sense for them to do that. Based on, once again, what the companies inside these industries are, are saying. Now, let's see. Uh, the Labor Department reported 11 million available jobs in December, 57% above levels of 2020. But if you look from ZipRecruiter, they're saying it's only 26 above pre-COVID levels. Same with Indeed. And if you look from the National Association of the National Federation of Independent Business, which represents small businesses, as well as LinkUp, a research firm that tracks job listings that companies place on their own sites, they're also seeing a sharp drop in postings than what you're seeing in government agencies. The technology fields and finance fields have among the largest pullbacks in job listings. Technology job listings returned to pre-COVID levels last month after being almost 90% above that mark in May of last year. So a big turnaround in the tech space. Finance listings are below pre-COVID levels after being almost 80% above late 2021. Postings in retail and travel are 25% above pre-COVID levels in February. And government job postings are 54% above those levels. So we're really seeing a large pullback in everything but personal care services and healthcare. And even those businesses are a bit more cautious. ZipRecruiter's weak revenue numbers pushed the stock price down 20%. So the market was not really paying attention. They were, they were thinking that the, the jobs numbers that were coming out of the Labor Department were accurate. But it's becoming increasingly clear that they're not. And a lot of this has to do with the way that they collect their numbers. This is a survey. And the, number, the response rate fell to 30.6 last September from 56.4 pre-COVID. And this is why it's not really a good figure to, to follow. You know, private sector postings uh, are, aren't as focused on active searches. And the sample sizes are much larger. When you're talking about these public companies, they're looking at every single sector. They're, they're, they're seeing the data. They don't need to wait for response to a survey. So they're getting a much clearer picture. So once again, I think the Fed or the market is a bit off sides because as more clarity comes to these government figures that are likely, very likely to align with the private sector, then you're going to see probably rates pull back. Uh, and uh, you're going to see uh, the dollar probably weaken once again.
Now, Steve Peasley and I have been telling you for a while that we are in a new market regime and cycles are a natural part of almost everything in life. And that's really what this is. There are shorter term cycles, cyclical cycles, and there are longer term secular cycles. And so cheap capital and, and globalization was a secular cycle that has now come to an end. And so serious investors need to understand this and adjust their thinking, the strategies to fit the times. And so if you need help, if you need an understanding, whether your strategy fits the times, I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve at our company, KPP Financial, based in Irvine, California, which is in Orange County, it's in Southern California, just south of LA. And that's where we practice parallel investing, which means we invest right alongside our clients and we provide unbiased guidance both on and off air. So I encourage you to take our advantage of our free portfolio view assessment via telephone or go to meeting to send us a message through investtalk.com or give our office a call at 800-557-5461. Love to talk to you just for 10 minutes, however long it takes, get your portfolio optimized. Now let's go to Nick in Manhattan Beach who wants to talk about FTRNX. Hi, Justin. Uh, yeah, calling about the Fidelity Trend Mutual Fund. I've owned this for about six years now, haven't touched it. Um, it's been a counterpart to uh, ATF holding and uh, S&P 500, uh, VOO specifically. I figured I would put a decent chunk of change in VOO and you know, passive ETF, the Marfall in the market, and then have another chunk in Fidelity Trend which is, you know, supposed to be an actively managed, um, lar essentially large-cap growth fund managed by Fidel a Fidelity uh, team. And um, they both did well, but really I'm shocked by the performance in the past 12 months of FTR and X. It, it's about 40% off the highs, and um, the, the S&P 500 is only about 20% off um, its highs. Okay. And uh, the, uh, specifically, FTRNX has a 0.79% management fee, mm -hmm. and VOO, its fee is 0.03%, so about 26 times less. Okay. And uh, I've gotten better performance out of VOO. So, you know, given that, I, I was wondering what your opinion is of FTRNX, um, if you could look at the holdings and the percentage weights of them. They seem to be pretty damn similar to uh, VOO just a little more concentrated in those sort of large cap fang type names. Yes. But, um, so that's, man, they have that's, a very bad stock picking so that's my, so I wonder what you think. That's my first question, is why are you shocked that it's done worse than VOO? Um, I'm shocked that, you know, it, as a trend-following fund, they didn't allocate more to the sort of names that um, in terms of, like, high-dividend uh, blue chip, you know, value names that have held up in the last 12 months relative to the growth names, which were hot under low interest rates. They didn't, uh, they didn't change their portfolio whatsoever, which I would expect from an active management fund. Yeah, well, I, I would want to know what their process is. You know, what trend are they, are they looking at price trend? Are they just looking at, you know, uh, secular technology trends? What does trend mean? There's a lot of quote unquote trends that you can follow. Um, so I really have to dig into what their methodology is.
But this does not shock me at all that this is underperformed VOO. Because remember, VOO, it's a mix of value and growth, right? It leans on the growth side right now because it is because uh, those stocks had, had done so well for so long. Um, but it's still generally a blend. It's a blend with a lean towards the growth side. Whereas this Fidelity trend is a straight up large cap, mega cap growth fund. And those stocks have not done well over the past year, right? Its top holding is Microsoft. Second is Apple, Amazon, MasterCard is in there, Alphabet, NVIDIA is in there, uh, microchip technologies. Most of these names outside of Apple's done okay. Most of those other names, not so good. And this goes along the lines of the theme that I've been talking about for now two, three years, that this is a shift in the market environment. This is what I talk about. This is not the name that you want to be owning. You want to be leaning on the value side of the market. So everybody out there, if you own a fund, an ETF, a mutual fund, inside a 401k, outside a 401k, in an IRA, in, in your bank, whatever it is, you need to be looking at the type of type of fund it is. Where is it leaning? Go over to Morningstar.com. Find a tool to analyze it to say, is this a growthier type of uh, fund or a value type of fund? And clearly, this is a value type of fund. And I don't know, or sorry, this is a growth uh, type of fund and it's been underperforming and it's going to continue to underperform because as I said, the higher cost of capital, deglobalization is now working as a headwind to these type of companies, not a tailwind they've been dealing with for 20 plus years. And not only are investors struggling to adjust, but these companies are struggling to adjust as well, just to go look at Amazon's earnings. Um, So yeah, clearly, first off, you shouldn't be shocked. I know you are shocked, but you shouldn't be shocked. I'm far less than shocked uh, that this is underperforming. Um, so it's a clear sell to me. Needs to be moving to the value side of the market. This doesn't look like, based on their mandate, that's what they do, right? They're not going to shift all the way to the value side. Maybe they shift out of positions within the growth side of the market. But this is a growth fund, straight up. Uh, and I would move off of it. Thanks for the call. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888-99-CHART. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors. And I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. So as long as your questions involve the stock market or general investment topics and definitions, we set no limits. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Justin and I are ready. Are you? Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888-99-CHART. Yes, this is Kevin White from the Bay Area. I had a question for Justin. I wanted to know... Well, I wanted you to weigh in on S-Blocks, securities-backed lines of credit, and I wanted to know if there were any strategies for or any benefits in using S-Blocks before you die. I've never thought about that. <laughs> uh, it's a bit morbid, um, but... I'm sure you still have to pay the money back, right? Because these are securities-based lines of credit where you're taking your investment portfolio and borrowing against it. You're basically 
taking out margin a margin loan and instead of buying more stock you go buy something else you, know, you go buy you go live your life uh, you go buy a, a piece of property whatever um, the issue though is if there are volatility in your portfolio you could get margin called just like you can in normal portfolio, right? You can get for, be forced to sell uh, those positions at a bad time when the market's down, for example. Um, but this is something that is kind of a corollary to buy, borrow, die, right? Where instead of selling your positions and, and this may be what you're talking about instead of, and, and a lot of the uber wealthy do this, Elon does this all the time where He's instead of selling his Tesla stock, although he did a lot last year to finance his Twitter acquisition, et cetera, he would just borrow against it because when you sell the stock, you are triggering a capital gains, especially if you you, you founded it, uh, the company, or you were an early investor uh, like uh, like Elon was in Tesla. Your cost base is very low, and you go sell it. That triggers a huge capital gains uh, tax. But instead, you borrow against it, pay a low percentage, three four percent. And you go and use that money for whatever you want and you aren't triggering that capital gains. And then when you die, you have that stepped up basis where your heirs are get the value when you die, right? Or the, the, the cost basis when you die. So that's kind of the buy, borrow, die or found a company and borrow against the stock and then uh, eventually die and pass that on to your kids or your next of kin. So that maybe is what you're talking about. It's usually for the uber wealthy where you have, you know, millions and millions of dollars to borrow against. Um, but uh, interesting, but there are, there are risks with it and you are paying interest. They're not paying the government. You are paying interest. Uh, let's talk a little bit about buybacks and stock buybacks this year are projected to top $1 trillion for the first time in a full calendar year. And authorizations for repurchases are picking up pace. As of February 17th, they totaled more than $220 billion. And that's a record for this point or that point in the year. Now, these programs are typically executed at a company's discretion. And management tends to like it more than, for example, dividends. Because you can it's easier to increase and decrease your stock buyback program than it is to cut the dividend. And a lot of these authorizations, they don't actually come to pass, meaning you might get approved to buy back, say, $100 million of your stock, but based on how the quarter goes and where the stock price is, you may not actually execute on all of that. So understand that as well. Now, companies like corporate clients at Bank of America have purchased about $13.5 billion of shares on a net basis this year. So that's buybacks versus issuing more shares. Now, it does track in line with last year. So while the projections based on the amount of share buybacks that have been approved is very high, the actual execution of it has been really flat year over year. And buybacks are viewed as a lot more tax efficient than, say, dividends. Because dividends, you're taxed at the corporate level, and then the individual investor is taxed when the money is paid out as well. Now, based on fourth quarter results from roughly 90% of companies in the S&P, share repurchases from reporting corporations have fallen about 18% from the prior year. So, once again, the 
amount that has been approved is higher than what the companies are actually doing, which is pretty interesting. Uh, that's a quick update on the buyback space right now. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peaslin, I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find, as always, for free at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And like I said before, we crossed the 50 million download mark, and we cannot have achieved that without you and your loyalty. So thank you, and I encourage you all to head over to our social platforms and like and tag and enter our chance to win our free year of our newsletter. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. Invest Talk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1 800 557 5461.